Um, as y'all know, we actually started really strangely in May in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, kind of an interesting way to start that, but there was a really intentional reason. And we usually teach verse by verse through different books of the Bible. I know we have a lot of first-time people, and if you're in a living room, get out your Bible because we're actually going to use it. Um, but we, I really just had this, this heart from the Lord to start in chapter 10 back in May because chapter 10 of Hebrews is kind of a crux chapter of the whole book where it lays out, in fact, the very first verse of chapter 10 says that everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadow, just a shadow, right, of things that were to come in the New Testament. And so it lays out the law and sacrifices and things that we've heard of, like the temple and the tabernacle and lambs and all of that, with the purpose that it was pointing to Jesus. And so it was a gospel night. It was a gospel message. It was a very Christ-centered message that night. So that was in May. June 1, we looked at Hebrews chapter 1. So we went to the beginning, and we didn't get much past the word God, the very beginning word of Hebrews 1.1. And so really quickly, for everyone that's new, I kind of wanted to do a quick recap. It was powerful. Um, we do have it recorded. It is on the podcast if you want to hear it. But just a quick recap of chapter 1. The whole entire book of Hebrews, especially chapter 1, is about one thing, the greatness of Jesus, the betterness. He is better. And throughout the entire book, the author of Hebrews, who is anonymous, some think it's Paul, um, but the author of Hebrews compares Jesus to multiple things throughout all the chapters. And in chapter 1 and 2, which tonight we're going to look at too in particular, he is better than angels. And we're going to take that through and look at the comparisons all the way through. We might be in Hebrews the rest of the year. It could be two years. I have no idea. The Word of God is just living and active, and we got to the word God last time in <laughs> Hebrews 1.1. So um, we'll see how far we get. But our whole retreat, actually, is going to be on Hebrews 4. So at least we can try to get to Hebrews 4 by December. Um, and that'll be an awesome time the first weekend of December there. But Hebrews 1, Jesus is better. He is the express person of God, the Father. He is actually eight or nine things, and it listed out, and I won't necessarily read them all, but they're in verse 3. He's the radiance. He's the personality. He is the creator of the world. Y'all, I know that that sounds so simplistic, but when I went back and realized that Jesus created the world, that blew me away. Not God, who I always thought of, but God in triune form, Jesus, actually created the world. And it says that in Hebrews 1, um, and then in John 1, but in particular, verse 2 in Hebrews 1, in the last days he has spoken to us to, through his Son, in whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the world. Jesus wasn't a plan B at Christmas. Yeah? Jesus was in the beginning. God had the plan all along for Jesus. And I remember one, he gave me this, this epiphany that there are no plan Bs with God. Y'all know that, right? Everything is a plan A. He is not scrambling to fix the mess. And I think unintentionally the way I read Genesis a little bit Man fell. 
oops, oh no, something's entered, something's messed up, and now God's got to go into action to come up with a plan to fix the fall of man, right? And oh yeah, we know God knows all things from the end to the beginning, it's Jesus. But that's not what's indicated here at all, because there isn't a plan B with God. He never scrambles, he's never surprised, he's never caught off guard. And from the beginning of the creation of the world, Jesus was. Jesus is, and Jesus is to come. He was always there, and it was through him that Atlanta, Georgia was made. It was through him that Israel was made. It was through him that the oceans and the sky were separated and the light and the dark. It was through Jesus. I just never realized that as much. So we looked at that. We looked at John 1.1. 1, 1. We looked at Genesis 1. So we have a celebration, basically, of the greatness of Jesus, the supremacy, right? He is supreme in all things in Hebrews 1. We don't have a, a challenge we don't have a question. The author is not asking anything of us in Hebrews chapter 1. He's just stating the statement. This is about Jesus. He's better than angels. Angels worship him, actually. Therefore, man should and does, and he created all things. And the rest of the book is building this case for the supremacy of Jesus. But Hebrews 2 opens very different. And I know those of you that are familiar with my teaching, you know that when we teach, we look at words that repeat. Hey, I'm not a mom yet, but I know my mom, and when she repeats things, what does that mean? <laughs> you better listen up, because I'm saying it again, right? So when we go through here, however you want to do it, highlighter, pen, pencil, I love a marked up Bible. It, there's nothing unholy about it. I think it's love and life and dirtiness and rawness. So mark it up and scribble all in it. Um, but circle words that you hear repeat. It's important. Even words that are small, like prepositions, and the but, for, in, grammar school, y'all remember this? The writer in Hebrews uses one of these words a lot in chapter 2. So I want to just kind of begin and see if y'all can figure out how we start um, and what those words are. So kind of circle them as we go to of Hebrews. Is that okay? I'm going to read it loud. Those of y'all, I'm reading out of the NAS version. I know we have multiple versions from Message to Living to NIV to some of you old school KGV people, King James Version. But I am reading out of the NAS, so you may have different word usages here. But Okay, Hebrews 2.2, 2, or 2.1. Let's start in 1, Sarah. <laughs> For this reason, we must pay a closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them both through signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not subject angels to the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that thou hast remembered him, or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and thou hast appointed him over the works of thy hands." 
Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is subject to him. But now we don't see yet all things subjected to him. But, verse 9, we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, and crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are also tempted. There's a lot packed in here. And what we're going to do tonight, actually, is we're going to spend the majority in verse 1, of course. And then we're going to run through pretty quickly verse 2 through 18. Because the entire majority of what the author is saying here in the language he's using, when you look at Greek and you look at the original, is all kept and just verified in verse 1 and verified 2 through 18. So don't freak out when it's like 35 minutes from now and we're still in verse 1. Because 2 through 18 is going to go back through real quick. Um, so, did y'all hear anything repetitive? Okay, 4. Four. four is similar to therefore, right? So he is starting a sentence with four, and in English that's, that's poor grammar because that would indicate there is a reason why he is saying here, and it's connected to what he said before, right? So why, why is he saying that? Why is he starting with for this reason we must pay closer attention? It's what I said about Hebrews 1. Jesus is better. He is better than what you think. He is better than what you know. He is supreme. He is above you. He is high and lofty. He is everything, y'all. This is not a religion. Okay, This is not adding on Jesus to a bunch of other things. He's it. He is the whole deal. And for that reason, we got to listen. Pay close attention. Synonymous, right, with the word listen. 
when you think of the word listen, what comes to your mind? What, what does one have to do to listen? Okay, engage. What else? Be quiet. Absolutely. What else do you have to do to, to listen? Focus. Focus. Yep. It's a very key word. Okay. Stop, <laughs> stop talking. Absolutely. You got to drown out maybe what you were previously listening to. Right? To, to fairly give the person that's in front of you the due attention. The other thing when I think about true listening, not selective, but true listening, true engagement, when someone's in front of you with something worthy to say, they're a lot easier to listen to. When you deem worthy what it is they're about to say to you, you're all ears. Hence, Hebrews 2.1. The one who is speaking this is not for some opinion, Paul. It is not the author of Hebrews. This is God-breathed breath on a page, the living word, Jesus, the word becoming flesh in logos form, in written form, speaking. So for this reason, we got to listen up to what he's saying, not to what I'm saying, not to what authors say. Y'all realize we are not following a collection of men. This, this book, it's, it's moving. It's a being. It's a means to a person. And there are a lot of people who don't listen up or pay attention because they honestly think it's a bunch of, a bunch of principles. It's like any other book. It's a great guide. It's got some awesome suggestions. You know, helps me figure out how to deal with my money. Helps me figure out maybe some wisdom on certain issues, maybe honoring my parents. But they approach it with principles as the goal and not a person. And frankly, when you do that, you're going to turn a deaf ear pretty quickly because a lot of people are screaming at us uh, what to do, what to believe, what to think. It's all everyone else's opinion. This is not someone's opinion. That's what's so different. That's why it's in, impertinent to understand 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture, every four, every and, every order of the sentence, every comma, is God-breathed for us, absolutely for instruction, absolutely for guidance, but most importantly, for a revelation of a person. Jesus is where life is held, not in the letter of the law. Amen? So we aren't looking at letters. My heart is that we would engage with a being and a person. And that's the, art, that's the heart of the author. So he's saying, because the one who is worthy, who is faithful and merciful and good and holy and supreme, because that's the one speaking, for this reason, you better pay close attention and he gives another reason. So for this reason, he's the one who's speaking it, Jesus. But you also want to pay close attention. Why? What's the end of first one say? So you don't drift away. Y'all, this whole terminology, 
The word listen, does anybody use the word listen? Is it, is it in the Bible for y'all? Mine's pay closer attention. Do y'all have anything different? Is listen in your Bible? What? A, make more careful attention. Okay, what else? How, what does it say? Okay. So read what you've got, is it Tiffany. What's what's first one say? We must pay more careful attention. So careful attention. Uh huh. Okay. Any other translations there? So even more. So he is emphasizing the point. But when I looked at this, he's using nautical terminology. He's not talking about listening the way you are to me right now. He was not necessarily talking about your ears. There was three main symbols to the early church. The ichthus, known as the bumper sticker on cars. The fish, right? This was actually a real symbol of the original church, a lot of which he was talking to here, the Hebrews, um, the Jewish people. Fish, boats. Why do you think boats were important and used in a lot of terminology? in the early church. Who started the early church? Fishermen. Fishermen. Hello. This, this is so amazing for me as a teacher of the scripture because God breathed through men that were not educated. They were fishermen and he used terminology that was in their world. Boats and fish. But we read it very elevated that yes, he will make us fishers of men and yes, he will. But y'all to them, that was real life language. They got that. Fish, boats, and the other symbol was an anchor. It was used all over in terminology and signs, actual symbols in the, in the beginning of the early church. So what do you think, pay much closer attention, or in our awesome, actually means? It's a fastening of an anchor. That's what he is talking about. Because you don't drift away if you simply tune out your ears. He's going way deeper than listening to Jesus or not, adhering to his principles or not. It's way more under the surface than that. That doesn't cause you necessarily to drift away. What causes you to drift, hello again in life, right? Okay, if anyone's ever been in a boat, if you don't use an anchor, you are going to drift. Water isn't stagnant, right? Water always has a current, even if it is a lake. Just recently, my husband surprised me and he rented this pontoon boat up at Lake Hartwell Huge, massive, you know, big metal house on water kind of things. And it was awesome. It was great. But even the pontoon, as heavy as it was, I can remember in Lake Hartwell, it was unlike Lanier. Hardly anything was going on. It did not look on the surface that there was a current. And I wanted to drive the boat, and I wanted to go into some of the alcoves. And Josh said, well, when you do, drop the anchor, even for a second. If, even if you want to look at something. Drop the anchor because you will drift. It just happens. Y'all, you understand. The world has a current. There is no option to stand still. 
We are all moving in a direction. Every single one of us. What direction are you moving? Because you are moving. And it may be a slow drift. It may be a rapid, kind of Colorado River style experience for you. But regardless, you're moving. And you're going in a certain direction. And he's aware of that. The king of the world knows that. He made the water. He made the world. He is ruling over it supremely. But atmospherically, there is another ruler here for a time being. And there is a current and a pull to the world we live in very similar to water in a boat. And unless you drop your anchor in the truth, you will drift. Bank on it. And I'm not going to say where you're going to drift to. But you will drift. And, and I would even venture to say commanding. Based on the verb usage, it's present imperative verb tense. It isn't a suggestion. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows if they don't drop their anchor, if they don't fasten into me, they're going to wind up down the road, down the river, on a different part of the lake, in a different area of life, asking the age-old question of what? How did I get here? How did this happen? I love God. I know him. I know his, his word. But how did I get here? The interesting thing about drifting is it's not dramatic. It's very subtle. Sometimes you don't even really feel like you're moving. So a drift is a little different than like a riptide current. And you know clearly, you're moving, you're not moving in a good direction, you're going down, and you're going to drown if you don't get out of it. Drifting is a lot less dramatic than that, but way more dangerous. Because it will take you so far in such a long period of time that it will seem forever to get back to where you were. And all of it's connected to the fastening of an anchor in something. It would have done me no good on the pontoon the day with Josh when we were on the lake to pull out the anchor, which I did, they're extremely heavy, and just leave it in the boat. The anchor is attached to the boat, but it's not supposed to fasten to the boat. Y'all get that, right? The purpose of an anchor is to be thrown out of the boat, fastened into something else that's not moving, like the bottom of Lake Hartwell. In that case, it, it's sand, but y'all get my, my drift, right? It's going to something that isn't moving to stabilize my boat. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that know this. They interface with it. Maybe they've memorized some of it. Maybe they've led small groups in it. But that potentially could be equivalent to pulling an anchor out and leaving it in the helm of the boat. It does nothing. And they're going year two into marriage, year three, 
year 10 into singleness. How in the world did I get here? I am mad at God. I'm less about small groups. In fact, I started, stopped going. I moved in with my boyfriend. I kind of knew that wasn't right, but I kind of did it. How did this happen? Y'all get that you got to put the anchor out of the boat. It's connected to your life. It's connected to the boat, but it's got to be thrown out and anchor into something else that's non-moving. So, of course, as I'm thinking about this and praying and studying, you know, my mind is, is spinning and my heart is burdened because in Atlanta, I don't know how many cities we have represented, but right now here in Atlanta, we are in the buckle, right, of the Bible Belt. It's hard to walk around the city and meet someone that doesn't know a little something about this, maybe even about Jesus. But I see a whole lot of drifting in the church. I see a whole lot of a variety of where boats are ending up. You all understand? Why? And I, I just, I, I was, I was burdened and, and almost just drawn to tears to go, Lord, would you reveal something to us tonight? in this chapter that would keep us fastened to you and far from drifting. I can't do that, but the word of God can. It is living and active and it is sharp and alive here. And I believe that drifting hurts the heart of God. That was never his intention. His intention all along was that he would be our anchor, that we would throw our anchor overboard and let it land in the stability and the security and the personality, the reliability of a person, Jesus Christ, not necessarily of just a bunch of principles. Y'all have heard me say before, information will carry you for so long, but revelation altogether different. You can have information, and that's like an anchor sitting in the helm. Revelation of Jesus, you know you need him. You know there's a current moving quick, and you don't really want to know or go where it's going, but you don't know where you want to go. You throw your anchor overboard into the rock, not sand, of your salvation. And your boat's going right where he wants it to go, staying the course. And he's so good that he doesn't leave us the same. So even when we put our anchor in him, that's the, that's the most amazing thing, is you're not going to stay in one place. You're going to move with him. You're going to stay on course. Versus, well, if I anchor down, what fun is that? What does Jesus really offer me? Yeah, I get it. If I anchor down in him, I won't do X, Y, and Z. But what do I get to do? What do I get to experience? Try it. It will blow you away. When you stay on course with the pathway and the person of Jesus, it's like my dad said, a roller coaster without tracks. Thick. It is an adventure. Like the Narnia said, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, Aslan, he is good, but he is not safe. It's risky. Don't we all want an adventure? Yeah, definitely. 
the greatest way to have that adventure is to fasten your anchor into a person, way more than just a bunch of principles. So of course, y'all know I looked up the word used here for pay closer attention in the actual Hebrew and the Greek, and this is my paraphrase, okay? Shema, has anybody heard that word before? It's used a lot in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read a couple verses. Um, in fact, I'm, it, would it be okay if I had some people read some of these verses? Could somebody look up Deuteronomy 4.30? I get that one. And Deuteronomy 6.4. Y'all can look these up on your own on Periscope. Deuteronomy 4.30, Deuteronomy 6.4, Ecclesiastes 5.1, and Luke 5.1. So as y'all were looking those up, here's what's powerful. The Shema, or the Shema in Hebrew, and the Aku, which I'm probably not saying that right in Greek, this is the paraphrase of all those definitions put together in Sarah's words, okay? For pay closer attention slash listen. The Greek and the Hebrew are so much more eloquent than English. Listen just is lame. This, this is what it really means, obviously with the nautical underneath and at all of fastening your anchor. To hear intelligently obediently, uninterrupted audience, intent to fully hear out and obey. So to fasten your focus, somebody said that word for listen, to fasten your focus to Jesus is to give him an uninterrupted audience to hear him out completely with the intent to obey fully. That's pretty powerful. I don't know how often we listen to God like that. Uninterrupted audience. I know if my husband wants to talk to me, or let me phrase it this way, if I want to talk to him, Football goes off. TV goes off. Sometimes even our dog, Trudy, because she is a distraction for me, because I do love her, has to leave the room to give him an uninterrupted audience or to gain, right, to really engage with someone I want to listen to and share with. Do we do that with the Lord? Because there are voices, right, and currents coming in all the time. But if we really value who it is that's speaking, that he has something supreme and worth listening to to say, things need to shut down and turn off to go, okay, I am Shema with you. I am uninterrupted in giving you an audience with the intent to hear you out completely, to obey you fully. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What if we approached him that way? What if we approached the scripture that way? I think it would change everything. It's one of my favorite verses in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. It's David talking to Samuel. And he says his name twice. Parent, he is a father, right? Samuel, Samuel. Has God ever called your name twice? Listen to him when he gets your attention. You know what Samuel says? Speak, Lord. Your servant 
is listening. Same word used in Hebrews 2 verse 1. Your servant is intellectually, intently, uninterrupted, uninterrupted, fastening my focus on you. What do you want to say? Y'all, you do that, you will know the will of God. I guarantee it. You do that, you will hear him speak to you in your heart through the scripture. So many people want to hear the Lord, right? But it, they don't really want to listen. Isn't that crazy? We want to hear God, but we don't want to listen. Not like this. Because this is listening. This is the fastening of your attention. The focusing, right? The laser beam, blinders on like a horse to where you are just fixing your eyes on him. So once more, hear intelligently and obediently with an uninterrupted audience intent to fully hear out and obey the one who is speaking. Um, notice that the author does not say the first thing in Hebrews 2.1, to labor for Jesus. This is the first command. This is it. He could say anything to this group of Hebrews, anything. Go to the temple more. Labor harder. He just says, listen, that's your job. That's your privilege, actually, to listen, not labor, to watch, to fix your eyes, not work for. They'll get the difference. But that's the one thing not a lot of people are doing. They're laboring for Jesus, totally. But are they listening? Are they really listening? Activity's a lot easier than uninterrupted intimacy. Sit still, open your ears, shut everything else out, tune in, fasten your focus, fix your attention. Y'all, that is work. I mean, ADD is a real thing. <laughs> And I, I have that. I get it sometimes. I have it spiritually sometimes. But I kind of think that if we could acknowledge in, in a certain way the scripture, and I would even say worship and atmosphere are just as poignant as a pill could be for somebody with ADHD. This focuses you. When you know the author, when you really know intimately the one who wrote it, and you're engaging with him, you're all in his face here, oh, you don't want to leave. But if this is a book, if this is a quick fix, if this is a guidebook and a principle thing, and a, I'm going to do... I'm going to check it off. I'm going to have my quiet time. You might, maybe, miss the actual engagement he would want for you. That listening, that focusing, the fastening your attention, it could look different for a lot of us in here. But for me, I'm very big into atmosphere. And, and like on Mondays, for the most part, my phone will go off. And I'll turn everything off in my house, 
light some candles, get some worship music on, and I'm settling in to speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Because you know what? He is always talking. Always. He is, he is opening his mouth constantly. It's just, am I fastening my attention consistently? Or am I just racing around and I got to get it in and I got to go and I got to, I got to, I got to. He does not say anything else we got to do. But listen. And it's the hardest thing. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. John 16, y'all can read that later, but it's the entire job description of the Holy Spirit. And literally, one of his jobs to indwell the believer is to fasten our attention on the person of Jesus. It's amazing. Right there in John 16. So, do you listen to Jesus above anybody else? Do you listen to Jesus above your own self-talk? We listen to ourselves all the time. Unfortunately, uninterrupted sometimes. Y'all ever been in one of those moments where your mind is running amok and you are going nutso and all you can hear is yourself and the what ifs and oh, this and this and this. I mean, we're always talking too. But are we listening to Jesus more and quieting all of that to where all of a sudden he is crystal clear? You don't have to mine through the muck of everything else. Everything's quieted. Man, you, yep, I know exactly what God has said to me today. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know who he wants me to be today. I know who he is more today. Thank you, Lord. Do we listen to him above anybody else? You know how you can know that? Who's your first call? Simple as that. Who's your first call? Um, what's your first knee-jerk reaction? When you need counsel? Usually, unfortunately, when there's a crisis. Somehow that grabs our attention. What is your resort? What, what do you do? What is your... DNA say in that moment. If it's anything other than I need Jesus, you're going to drift. And it's, you'll, you'll see it. You will eventually see it. Maybe not right away. So I wrote down here, the definition I had of drifting is subtle movements in the wrong direction due to anchoring to what we think, what we feel, what we want, what we do, and what we plan. Drifting is subtle movements in the wrong direction. Anchoring. So maybe we are anchoring. Oh, Sarah, I'm, I'm throwing my anchor in. Yeah, to what? To your fantasy? To what you want God to do? to what you think, what you feel, what you want, what you do, what you plan? Or is your anchor in who you know? Know, that's a solid word, right? K-N-O-W. That's, that's foundational. And it's who. 2 Timothy 1.12. I used to write it on my wrist in college. 
I am confident, I'm fully persuaded and convinced of who it is I know, that he is able to keep what I have given and entrusted to him until that day. The author, Timothy, was saying, I'm convinced of who I know. I don't know what. I don't have a clue what sometimes. But my anchor isn't in a what. My anchor is in a who. And therefore, I'm not going to drift. And I'm for sure not going to crash my lifeboat in a different direction than he has for me. So what do you anchor in? Because you might be using an anchor. Um, who? Who needs to pay attention? Have y'all thought about that? The writer is talking to the Hebrews in literal terms. Who needs to pay attention? Who needs to fasten their focus? Two groups of people. And I'll read them out. The one group is in danger of dismissing the gospel after continued exposure to it. These are the people that need to pay attention. People who are in danger of dismissing it because they've continually been exposed to it. Okay, maybe they're lost. Maybe they don't know the Lord. But they have heard it so much because we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt that it's familiar. So I'm going to dismiss that. Oh, yeah, Noah. Yeah, Jonah. Jesus. Garden. Fall. Yeah, I get it. I've heard all that. That's not someone who is anchored in that. So they need to pay attention because they're in danger of drifting because they're dismissing what they know. Second group of people, they're believers. So by the way, these two groups of people are everyone. <laughs> everyone needs to pay attention. Believers who are in the danger of drifting because they have unfastened themselves with other interests. They have unfastened themselves with other interests. I'm in the boat. I've got Jesus in my heart. I know the use of an anchor. But in all honesty, Sarah, I got other interests. There's other things that look and sound a lot better. And I know the truth. I know it. I know it. And I'm miserable. But I am unfastening from this to attach to that. Willingly. Y'all, we've met them. Maybe some of them are in here. Maybe it was a season in your life where you were that person. They started out strong, right? They were the leader of the small group. They memorized the Bible studies. They knew the verses. They had passion and zeal, a bunch of emotion. And over time, something happens. That subtle drifting, subtle movements in the wrong direction happen because of an interest, another voice, a little thing peaked. Hmm, it's kind of better than that. Yeah, I know what God says, but... but this, this feels good. This feels right. This looks better. So I'm just going to, for a second, pull up my anchor, unfasten it there, and I'm going to attach it here. I'm just going to try it. 
that's dangerous. And it doesn't end in a good way. And y'all know that God's heart throughout the whole Bible, throughout this whole book of Hebrews, is never to bind you. It is always to free you. But when we unfasten from him, we bind ourselves to them. It is liberty here, though there's a fastening of an anchor, and bondage here. That's the greatest lie of the enemy. If, you, if you're anchored, if you're tethered in to Jesus, man, it's, how fun is that? That's slavery, it's bondage. Come on, let go of that, because there's freedom over here. It's absolutely the opposite. What you think will set you free will put chains around your ankles in a second. And what he has done in the anchor, in his word, in his testimony, in his whole 33, is he came from the very beginning to set us free. Free. Free from drifting. Free from temptation. Free from the how did I get here moments. You don't have to live that way. He set us free. And yet we put ourselves back under bondage, thinking it's going to bring freedom. Sad state of affairs. So why do we drift? Obviously the anchor is not fastened, but give me just some practical words really quickly. And maybe they're personal. Why is drifting easy? Temptation. Okay, temptation. Done and done. Temptation looks good. It's easy. What? People get lazy and they just they don't want to work. Okay, lazy. Because it's hard to listen. It's hard. It's like we're two year olds and you only have a short attention span and <laughs> ugh, it's I can't I can't I can't listen to you anymore, Lord. I'm just I'm done. Okay, he gets that, but that's definitely laziness because it's work. What else? Society. Okay, society, how so? Okay, so just frivolous busyness and meddling, just, just this constant swirl, right? The rat race. It's uncouth, it's uncool, it's untrendy to listen to the Lord. People call it introvertedness or something. I am an extrovert, but I have a deep introverted side. And the world labels and stigmas stillness, um, intimacy. Man, you're not working hard enough. You're not, you're not doing enough. Oh, you're listening? What are you, what are you doing this afternoon? You know what? Y'all, I'm, I'm going to go to Stone Mountain. And I'm just going to listen to God. Try that one on somebody for a Saturday. <laughs> Super awkward moment. Because they're going, okay, well, I'm convicted because I'm not doing that. Well, maybe I should do that. Well, what, why is she doing that? You can listen to the Lord in your apartment. Like, what's Listening is not in line with what's going on. So society, for sure. I wrote down busyness. Okay, duh. No brainer. Here's the biggest one I wrote down. And I've already said it tonight. Familiarity, especially here. Familiarity. Oh, Sarah, I know that. I've 
been to establish her. I go to Beckhead Church. I go to Out Loud. I know all that. I'm not going to drift. No one is exempt. Y'all, that's why it is an active anchoring every day. I would even say moment by moment. There is an old hymn that says, Every hour, Jesus, thee I need. Every hour. Do we live like that? I don't know. E. Stanley Jones, Methodist missionary, said this, The danger for Christians is when they hit certain ages and stages, there needs to be another source of awakening because there's a been there, done that attitude. Where is the passion? Where is the enthrallment with Christ in the pages of his word? Why is it easily lost? And even worse, easily replaced. Wow. Wow. So I wrote down just a bunch of questions. Y'all can chew on these later at home. Do you think you are so familiar with the stories of Jesus that you've missed the person? Have you gotten sick of dining at the king's table, eating his food, and the world's crumbs look a lot better? I wrote that question down, and I, <laughs> I just had this analogy in my mind. I don't know about y'all on Periscope, but in Atlanta, we have a place called Bones Steakhouse, and it's phenomenal, and it's top-notch. You've got to save half paycheck, but that question would be like comparing slash replacing a Bones dinner in Buckhead with an incredible person of influence, whoever that would be to you, with a state fair donut, with a state fair whatever, corn dog, whatever they eat at state fairs, carnival, right? The world is a carnival. It's got a lot of offerings. It's cheap. And the king's food, which Jesus said, I am actually the bread of life, found in this word, is sustenance. It's like whole food. But I think there's an epidemic going around with people saying, you know what? I know it sounds stupid. I'm sick of bones. I'd rather have a corn dog. That's insane. But that's what their life is doing. There's this richness and this value and this moreness of God and of life and of adventure and of righteousness and of purpose and meaning, all available, all free to you. Highly expensive to him. All available. Uh, I'd rather take that. I'm sorry. It's dangerous. Real quick, turn to James 4.4 4 as we come to a close here. It's a little 4.4. 4. You adulteresses. That's feminine. Do you not know that friendship with the world 
is hostility toward God. Can't have a bone steak in a carnival. It's, it's either or. It's, it's a crossroads. It's either you go full bore and you're all in and I am anchoring fully, I am fastening everything I've got to the person of Jesus as my life, not a part of it, not a bumper sticker to it, but he is it for me. Or you go this way and your boat drifts. You cannot drift and listen. You can't do both. It's pretty powerful. You cannot drift when you pay very close attention to God. Y'all, that's powerful. That's a promise. That, I mean, it, it dawned on me as I was reading and studying and praying, and I'm going, wait. Okay, so psychology, flip it around. If I, if I pay attention, if I listen closely, if I fasten everything I am to everything you are, then your word is telling me I will never, under any circumstances, drift away. You'll hold me. You'll hold me fast. You'll, you'll give meaning and value and purpose to me forever. We'll walk through any storm and I won't be uprooted. My boat won't crash every single tossing wave that may hit me. That's what you're promising me? Yes, Sarah. Yes, you. If you will cling to me, I'm going to cling to you. And you will not drift. You will not miss it. You will not wake up when you're 89 going, what was all this for? It won't happen. But it's a heavy condition, if I can say that word. If we fasten, if we listen, we don't drift. It's pretty powerful. I wanted to read this quote from John Piper. Um, it's not as weighty as some of the things he says. So it says this, <clears throat> fix your eyes on what God is saying and doing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is not a hard stroke to learn so that you can swim against the stream of sin, indifference, and worldliness. The only thing that keeps us from swimming like this is a deep down desire to float by and float away with other interest. It isn't because the stroke is hard. Let us not complain that God has given us a hard job. Listen, consider, and fixing. This is not what you would call a hard job description necessarily. It isn't a job description at all. It is a solemn invitation and a prized privilege to be satisfied enough with Jesus that we don't get lured away downstream by a hook of deceit and desire. Wow. Wow. Are you? 
Are you satisfied in him alone? Psalm 90:14 says, Satisfy me in the morning with your goodness that I might be glad and exalt in you. Are you, do you wake up in the morning satisfied? Ask yourself that tomorrow morning. In all honesty, in all rawness, in all pajamas, in all plainness, all raw and bare, am I satisfied in you? Because if I'm satisfied in you, I'm going to listen to you. If you're not satisfying me, I have no need of you. I am not going to listen to you. You lose my attention. It's a satisfaction issue that trickles down into a hearing issue at the core. So really quickly, speeding through this, verse 2, his word is reliable and unaltered. It's been proven over and over again, and there are grave consequences if it is ignored. Hebrews 2.2. 2. It basically says you're not going to escape what's coming to you if you do not listen to what he is saying. Psalm 119.16 says, I will not neglect your word. I will not neglect it. I won't ignore it. Powerful book of the scripture, Psalm 119. But we have a crossroads in a moment to say, Lord, the greatest way I can fasten my anchor into you, I can lean everything into you, is to intimately engage and interact and know like the way Adam knew Eve. Y'all remember that? The way a man knows a woman without getting too blatant here? That's how we're to know this. This is laid bare and you're laid bare and there's this beautiful, intimate transformation that happens, not a transaction of words. If that's how we're in this, that's not neglecting it. But anything short of that, it's just neglect. We should call defects spiritually on a lot of our hearts because of neglect. Yeah, I got this, but it's going to sit on my nightstand. It's a coffee table book. It's an anchor and a helm that's not doing jack squat. And it's neglect. And he's saying, don't neglect this. If you neglect this, I'm already going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to drift, and it isn't in the right direction. Trust me. I promise you, if you fasten to me, you will have an adventure you'll never forget, and you won't drift. Don't neglect. His words are first spoken by him, verse 3. I'm going to go through this really quick. This was huge. I could speak on this a whole different time. Y'all, I've never seen that before. Hebrews 2, verse 3. The word was first spoken by the Lord, then confirmed through others. That should be our mantra. What we hear and what we do should be dictated by first the Lord, then confirmed by others. That order and that order only, right? He is the first call. He is the first resort. Signs, wonders, and miracles intended to authenticate this truth. 
Jesus is supreme. He's life. He has everything in it. These signs and wonders and miracles, they weren't just vain demonstrations of power. I wrote this out a lot easier so I can read it better than I can say it. These, these were expressions of God's love for people, y'all, that needed to be set free from affliction. So these signs and wonders, and I know we can get off on topic here, but this, this is a huge point. These signs and wonders and miracles all had a purpose. They were not vain demonstrations of a bunch of power, just for power. They were to set people free by introducing them to a person. Anybody tells you different today? I would, I would question the sign, the wonder, and the miracle. <clears throat> Do not seek to replicate that just for power. It has a purpose to lead you to a person. And if it doesn't, then I'd, I'd walk away from that. Um, <clears throat> Verses 5 through 8, this whole section of Hebrews, I just wrote out the side of my margin. Earth is subject to man. Man is subject to Jesus. Jesus is subject to the Father. And it says in there a very real statement. We don't sometimes see this in earth. I had a miscarriage in July. Didn't really feel like that was subject under Jesus. Felt like that was a mistake, right? Felt like that was a, uh, this is a plan B. We're scrambling here. This shouldn't have happened. Yeah, that stunk, okay? I would not wish that on anyone, but let me tell you this. All things are subject under Jesus, and there will come a day, and I really believe, and it gives me chills, that that day is approaching very soon when Jesus takes his rightful place. And it talks about this whole new earth, this whole new place, where we are higher than the angels and we are with him and he sets everything right that we once thought was wrong. That whole section, five through eight, is talking about the subjection. And though you may not see it in your circumstances in your life, it's true. It's true by faith right now. One day it will be true by sight. And I cannot wait for that day when everything will be seen as right, when every knee will bow, every knee, every knee, the believer's knee and those who missed out, who did not believe, who neglected it all, every knee will bow and confess with their mouth and say with their tongue, he is the Lord. All of it was real. All of it was true. Wow. And that day is approaching. So even if it seems that our life is not subject and why things happen, I don't know. But all I know is there is a sovereignty I have by faith because I know one day that sight will be very clear. And he works all things together for good to those who love him. The last section, 9 through 10, is kind of ending in with that, but out of death to life. Because his, his own son, the father, it uses a lot of pronouns and hymns and he's, but you have to take note when they're capitalized. Because he talks about the enemy too, and the enemy is always little h. He is always lowercase. Okay, he may subject himself to be uppercase, he isn't. And the, the last part of Hebrews there is talking about Jesus being seen by the father as worthy to be perfected, to take on our flesh and blood and to be perfected through pain and through suffering. 
Of course, it made me think of establish her's main verse, 1 Peter 5.10, that for a little while, we too have to suffer. And yet, he, the God who has called you according to his grace, he himself is going to perfect you. Same word used in Hebrews. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to establish you, all starting with suffering. Do I understand it? No. Do I believe it? With all my heart. That whole last chapter is all about that, whole last section. And right here at the end, Hebrews 11, really through about 18, (laughs) this whole thing is summed up with about one word, claim. He claims you. Hebrews 2, 11 through 14 is all about how he claims you as brethren, as sisters, as brothers. He claims you enough to wear your body. That's a big claim. Do you claim him? He has no shame. It even says he has no shame to call you his brethren. Why do we have shame to call him ours? Again, it goes back to this distorted view. What you say, I don't have to listen to. It isn't worthy. You're God. You're good. You walked among people. You died. You rose again. Familiar, familiar. And we get ashamed to be in the same sentence with God. Y'all, it's the greatest compliment. He puts us in the sentence with him in Hebrews 2, 11 through 14. Wow. 15 on, he defeated the enemy of death, the devil, that he might deliver us from fear and from death. There it is, Jesus always setting us free, never binding us up. So whatever lie you're believing that it's better to fasten over here, go ahead and get that out of your mind because every single thing Jesus does, even disciplining you, is to set you free. He has been about binding. We were about binding ourselves from the beginning. And he's all about freedom. Anything other than that's a lie. He gives us help. He doesn't help angels. You realize that. A lot of people love to talk about angels, how much they help us. And I do believe that he has put angels charge over us. But guess who the angels are in subjection to? Guess who is their charge? Him. He does not help angels. He doesn't help Michael. He doesn't help Gabriel, the ones we hear about. (laughs) Verse 15, 16, he helps the descendants of Abraham. Who might that be? Yeah, that's us. Like, we are in the Bible. Maybe not by name. But by lineage, we are all seeds of Abraham, and he helps us. The God of the world, why would I not want to listen to the one who says, Sarah, I can help you. I I can help you with that. Um, I can help that. I I got to call. I got to call Sarah. I got to call Elizabeth. I got to. It's like, I can help you. I want to. Fix your focus on me. And then the last, of course, it sums up with Hebrews 2.18. He is able to help, to give you aid. And are you willing to listen that you would not drift in life or drive through life on your own? It's kind of hard to admit you want help sometimes. But let me just say the elephant in the room. 
all of us need help, every single one of us. And in fact, we are helpless. We have nothing to offer. We are like a child. We act like an adult, but we are like a child. And that's what he says we're to be like. We are helpless. And he's saying, I want you to realize your helplessness and realize that I can and will come to your aid. May we not drift away from the one who drew us near, defeated our enemy, delivered us from sin and death, and delights to call us his own. Makes no sense to drift away from that. God, may we fasten our anchor. May we hold tight. God, I pray that you would stop drifting right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would put blinders on some people, that you would stir up conviction, that you would stir up passion once again for your name in a way that all of a sudden we see a bunch of lifeboats going that is unstoppable, that is good, that is all things what you want it to be. God, I pray for anybody that is drifting subtly, that you would prick them in that way and wash over them with the immediate rush that you are their anchor. And all they got to do is stand on you and the drifting will stop. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the engagement with it for the interaction of it god it is alive i love it i love you in it you are the living word that we find in the written one don't let us neglect your word lord call us in the morning satisfy us in the morning fasten our attention to you hour by hour we love you so much jesus we need you we receive your aid we thank you for it come to our aid lord and blow us away with what you have in store for us as we walk your course and not the current of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to play one song. Meg, do you mind grabbing that? We love you all for joining us. We're going to play a song called My Anchor. It's pretty fitting, but we're going to end you. Are they gone? <laughs> I, made, I made a mistake earlier that they heard me. Um, we're going to end with this song. Thank you. Perfect. Yes. Good. And then just a couple things I want to share, more housekeeping things about Establish Her. Thank you. Wonderful and funny guy, author of all that is great, faithful provider and giver of life, source of all power and love. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to the Oh, for the souls of
before y'all go our next time is 9 14 september 14th all the dates are online however we are launching the first ever establisher small groups throughout the city and they're called roots groups and we're actually going to start those organically the week of september the 21st and it's it's going to be powerful and it's actually a tool to fasten your anchor and um, the backdrop was going to be Psalm 119 for a whole year. We're just literally going to open up Psalm 119 and just eat it. Just digest it, talk about it, question, cry over it, love it, battle with it, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm not going to be in any of them, but we have a podcast this is y'all. This is y'all stepping up. This is what y'all have wanted. Um, if you want more information about it, we, we do have kind of a, a, a what do you want to call it, a, a form or something just to gauge for us to know where you are, literally to know location where you are, but also to know what's been your experience with small groups in the past. I know we're in a transition <laughs> period right now in Atlanta. Group links coming around. Peoples are ending. They're looking for new things. Um, it just, honestly, this was not intentional. This was something that God brought kind of out of some hearts that are in this room and the timing of it literally direction right now when all of a sudden it's like every small group is ending and everybody is looking for a small group. So clearly I couldn't sleep. God was making it very known. Establisher needs to step into a gap that I believe is very large. Um, I could soapbox about it all night long, but let me just suffice it to say this will be a group where the scripture is opened every time. This will be a group where true community, I don't care about the buzzword of it, I don't care about the label of it, but honestly, my heart and my prayer and where I'm going to be just leading this, this movement is really from a place of spiritual depth and camaraderie is honestly the first step of community. If that's not there, I really don't care much what community looks like. And I think that's where there's a growing gap of I want community and I feel alone and I just moved to the city and so I'm going to get into a small group and they get disillusioned in the small group because the Bible is never open and it's a book club and it becomes a time for six girls to share about the situation of their life. Okay, that's not this. 
and, and there will be life share. There will be times where we engage and we learn where you work and what's your favorite ice cream and what's your birthday. But let me tell you, every single woman in, in my case that stood up my, at my wedding, kind of a lot of them, 15 of them, but <laughs> every, every single one of them, I, I began thinking back, and I was telling this to Esther and May as we met and kind of prayed over roots. I thought back, I'm like, how did I meet some of my best friends? How, how did that start? Did I meet them at my co, you know, my work, at a bar? Did we have the same birthday? Did we like running? How did it all start? And just for me personally, literally, every single one of those, and I'm blessed to have more friends that weren't up there, but those are kind of my core. Every single one of them, vividly, I could remember. Almost where we were, not date and time, but I could remember where we were and we had a conversation about Jesus. That's all I knew about her. That's all she knew about me. Jesus. Jesus came up. I mean, like, right there. And fast forward some 20 years later are my community. So my point in saying that is if there is a lack of spiritual depth, there will be a lack of community. It is what it is. And I, I am blessed and humbled and, frankly, burdened to meet with the fallout of small groups all the time. I don't have community. I thought that was going to be it. I wanted to know more. I wanted to be led by someone who was ahead of me in this journey, and frankly, she's a shoulder over from me. And so a lot of prayer and a lot of tears and a lot of people's stories went into roots groups, and, and we're still figuring out logistically how we do it, kind of like we do with technology. It might be a little <laughs> rough start, um, but that's okay. <laughs> So we have like about 30 or so responses right now. If you haven't gotten the form or you want to and you want to let us know you're interested, then let me know and I'll get it to you. But out of that, we're looking at days that are best for people. It's a Monday and a Wednesday and a Tuesday. So there'll be three Roots groups, one on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday in different areas throughout the city meeting on the off week of Establisher. I'm talking really fast. Y'all get that? So Roots Groups, huge. We're launching September 21st. The other big part of that is, is there's going to be a podcast attached to every time you gather, whether it's in a Starbucks or a Panera or preferably, I hope, a living room, a home. This is not about providing food. It's not about having a great, big, huge, awesome, decorated house. It's nothing to do with that. We are stripping off the trappings of all that and saying, look, we need people who love Jesus, who want more, and who are really, truly wanting to know each other, honestly. Like, this is the only book we'll ever use. It's the only book that will ever be open. And, um, and so we're just going to do that. Psalm 119, we're going to take it in eight verse sections. One through eight, we'll talk about that. And there'll be a podcast about that for about three to four minutes. Setting the stage, giving a few thoughts, maybe a, a, a deeper word here or whatever. And then just an organic facilitator in that group. Doesn't have to be a leader. Doesn't have to be someone with the gift of teaching or communicating. You don't have to do it the way I do it. This is not about all that. This is about 10 or so women, six to eight, somewhere in there. Invite whoever you want to and just an organic yet structured conversation and place of safety to engage with the word, the living word. And I think we're going to see a lot of drifting quit and a lot of fruit happen. And I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to see it in the women. And we will get to the men in a minute. <laughs> Don't even get me started. So we're, 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 working on, we're working on getting some men to catch up with y'all. Um, 
So that's that. And then the retreat, we have 15 spots left. So it will close. We're, we're opening it up to 60, as y'all know. Um, I know there's a lot of y'all that are coming. Who's coming? Yes. So it's going to be amazing. It's all about the rest of God. And it's a play on words. The rest of God. It's a double meaning. So you can think about that on your way home. But it's in Andrews, North Carolina. I would really recommend if you think you're going to come and you want to come and you want to invest in yourself in that way. It's December 4th through 6th. This is like a gift to you. This is, a, this is the greatest gift you could give yourself, honestly, I really believe, for Christmas. Ship team coming down from Charlotte to be with us. Um, if y'all were at Esther's table, that was one of the singers' um, charity. She will bring down the house at Hogstein in Andrews, North Carolina. This girl's got soul like I have never heard. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to be powerful. All in the rest of God. It's a very luxurious place. And we've got a whole roommate thing and all of that that we'll work out. But you've got to register first. So don't freak out if you don't know anyone. There's plenty of people that don't, don't know people. We will make it as comfortable and appropriate as possible in terms of rooming and bathrooms and all that stuff. So um, you don't want to miss it. It's life-changing. And this will be the biggest and yet the most intimate one I think we've ever had. And we've had seven. And um, they've been pretty powerful, for me included. So um, I'm going to be there, you know. So if y'all want to come, y'all can come. Um, it's two and a half hours from Atlanta. Super easy drive. You don't have to take off of work. Um, I think some of you probably will. Some can take off a half a day. It's fine. Um, registration will start anywhere from six to eight and then we'll do an official welcome at like eight thirty. So you have plenty of time to leave from work and get there. Questions, comments, stirrings in your heart? All good? Okay. Thank you all for coming. Oh, are yes. You gonna, um, email a form for people to fill out or Yes. So Yes, so my assistant's not here, so I'm a little cray cray. Um, if you want the form, let's do it this way and you are not on the establisher, who has not gotten the form? Let me just say it that way. That would want it. Form for the root group? For the form? roots. Okay. We want to know where you live, if you're interested, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Okay, so if you haven't gotten it and you're not on the stuff, come up and give me your email, and I will email it to you tonight. We'll just write your emails into my notes. How's that? And I'll send it out to you. You can get your responses back to us. And then September the 14th at our establisher gathering, we will go over where the actual location is, who the kind of coordinator is for that group. Doesn't have to be necessarily the leader per se, but maybe let's say Katie's going to host it, okay, because she's got a house, and let's say Meg is going to help facilitate it. They can do it together. I don't care. So we're going to have some structure, but there's, there's a flexibility and a submission to the spirit here, yeah? So 914, we're going to list where they are, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, of the week off of that establisher. We'll try to get things that y'all can drive to, preferably homes, and then we'll start the next week, and y'all subscribe to the podcast. Sarah Ott Deaton is the name of the podcast, and the Roots groups will be listed at the Roots, and then Establisher Gatherings are all live on there now. Done? Great. Awesome. Thank y'all. No, 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 no clapping there. <laughs> uh, <laughs>